Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. And I am married to Fiona, uh, dad to Olivia, and it's a privilege to be a pastor here at Life Changes. Here we go. Good. So we are week uh, three in our series called The Advancing Gospel. And this is a series where we have been uh, emphasizing and bringing clarity to the heart of our church, the heart of those who follow Christ, and ultimately the heart of God for humanity. And uh, throughout the, the series, the first week, Mark tackled Reach Far. And they said, that's who we are. We're people who want to echo God's heart to reach those who are far from Him. And Mark mentioned phrases, things they're saying, it's not what it's, it costs, but it's what it's worth. And it's the story that was so, uh, so clear for us was those, those Thai soccer players who were under the, the, the caves, four kilometers deep in the earth during the FIFA World Cup for days on end. The whole world watched and turned as they looked at these young boys and millions were spent to try and rescue them. And hours of, of news coverage were spent to, to, to get the world's attention on them. And even one man in the attempt to go and rescue him lost his life. And not once did people say, oh, that's costing quite a lot. No, why? Because it's not what it costs, it's what it's worth. And we're actually saying that that story, is as, as powerful as it, as it is, a rescue mission there, it pales into insignificance when in comparison to the heart of our Father who saw humanity's plight and spared no expense that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Not His leftovers, not what He could afford, not oh, what I can make do with now, but He gave His only Son for humanity. And we're saying, actually, if that's the heart of the Father, to sacrifice the Son on behalf of the earth, we're going to be a, a church that's going to do the same. That we're actually going to reach Father. We're gonna, not going to be in our safe, secluded, sanitized living. We're actually going to be a people who echo His message. That was week one. Week two, we spoke about raise up. And actually saying, our job is not just to reach people, but it's also to raise them up. And we said that we were made to grow. We were made to grow. You and I were made to grow. But the implication for that is saying that if something needs to grow, Something first needs to be sown. And it's uh, Matthew 10, verse 5 to 10. Now, I don't often do this, but I'm going to read from the message translation. And uh, the reason why I love this, this version of it is uh, when I read it about five years ago, it just encapsulated, it just came alive to me. So I hope it does the same for you today, because I'm really trusting that as we read Scripture this morning, as we lean in together, I'm trusting for revelation and transformation, not just information. I really are praying that there'll be revelation, meaning your hearts will explode with truth and go, wow, that's come alive to me. And actually, there'll be transformation, not just, hmm, that sounded interesting. That's what I'm praying for. So let's read the Word of God together. It says this in Matthew 10. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. This week we don't need any. How's that? Travel light. Bring help to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously. So live generously. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is would you give us new lenses on old words? I pray, Father, would you give us new faith on old scars? I thank you, Father God, would you also give us new courage for new paths? I thank you, Jesus, for freshness as your word explodes in revelation before us. 
Would we see the road to walk with confidence? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? I don't know about you, but um, I've always grown up with, uh, we grew up in the 90s when the hit, the hit soapy of the day was an Australian export called Neighbors. Anybody remember that? The good old days, Neighbors, everybody loves good Neighbors. And uh, we, we grew up in Zimbabwe with some really good neighbors. Our, our commu- we had a, quite a community of uh, family and friends around us. The, the family next door used to have, uh, have chickens and they would give us some eggs. You know, just, that was, it was a great community. And uh, as we grew up in this, this, with neighbors, um, there was just this one family that was next door to us, you know, that uh, weren't as, as exciting as those who would give us eggs from their chicken or those on the left or the right of us. There was the one family that had Rottweilers for pets. And uh, Rottweilers are not my top uh, five favorite dogs. They're actually not in the top 50, if I'm honest, um, because uh, we, we went through a different pet a year. Not because we were bad pet owners, but because the Rottweilers next door were, 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 were hungry. Um, so we had little, little beautiful little chickens, little bantam chickens. That only one morning were just bantam feathers. Um, because the Rottweilers got in. If you're, if you're a, a pet lover, please just close your ears for the next little two minutes. Um, we had rabbits, and then we didn't have rabbits. The Rottweilers got in there. But you know what? We love neighbors. We love the neighbors, even if these are, this are the conditions of the people next to us. I don't know maybe about you as I, I moved out of home and I moved to Cape Town for the first time, and I started to have this thing called a day off. And as a young uh, 20-something, a day off meant sleeping till 11 a.m. That's what a day off looked like. And uh, neighbors were great until all of a sudden that neighbor would seem on a Monday would start to do all his DIY at 8 in the morning. Drilling, hammering, just got exciting. And this was not the favorite person to lean into in that story. I don't know about you, but we also had a neighbor in Durban, and this one takes the cake, of the man who lived next door to us in the flats. And, uh, and, and unbeknownst to us, is he had been kicked out by his wife because he had been having an affair. But he, we didn't know this, so he came to us, and she had locked the doors, changed the lock, and he says, hey, listen, um, my wife's out, and I've lost my keys. I need to get in. This is all the story. So we, we were the great neighbors. You know, neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. We have to do it. You know? So we let him in our house, and he climbed in through the ventilation of our home and started to try to climb into his house. We didn't know what was going on in the background. And all was good until we realized this man took a stumble and uh, took his feet off the beams and uh, came plunging through my parents' uh, bedroom ceiling. Uh, legs and the, the torso was stuck. It was wonderful. At that moment you go, neighbors, everybody loves good neighbors. This is the home that we grew up in. But I want to tell you today, I, I, all of these sort of jokes aside, that actually the neighbors that you can remember, good or bad, people that you know or, or love, I just want to take this concept, and it, it got it deep into me about five years ago, that actually, I don't know about the, you, but there's this phrase when if you move into a new area or a new house or a new neighborhood, and then all of a sudden, on a Friday night, when you're trying to put your baby to sleep, the neighbor next door who's just installed the new subwoofer system starts watching movies at the highest volume that your home is shaking, and your baby won't fall asleep. You just mutter under your breath, there goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. Terrible. The value of the homes are going to go down now. Or, or potentially, uh, there's that neighbor when you, you get there, and every single day you get home, he's parked in your spot. And you're like, there goes the neighborhood as you circle around again and you have to park further away even though it's due you where you're supposed to park. 
Or, or maybe the time where there's, there's family next door and as you're wanting to sleep in or, or, you, or you're needing to have a bit of quiet space, the kids are up at five in the morning bouncing off the ceilings next door and yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs and the parents don't seem to do anything and you go, there goes the neighborhood. Terrible. I, I want to tell you this morning, my thesis for us, afresh in my heart, but as I read this text again and again, my thesis is what if, what if we were going to be the church that got a revelation of who we were and instead of running from the darkness, we started charging into it. And instead of building bigger walls to keep the evil out, we bashed a few down to let us out. And when we as Christ followers move into an area, when we as Christ followers pick up a new call of God, the fresh revelation of God in our hearts, I want to ask you, potentially, do you think the enemy could look at us and go, ah, there goes the neighborhood. That when Christians move in, the heart of the enemy goes, oh no, why did they arrive here? My, my thesis this morning is that actually I want to convince you and I that when you moved here, when you got that job here, when you got that business idea, when you started shopping there at that mall, when you started a new school, I want to say that potentially the enemy looked at you and went, there goes the neighborhood. Because of the potential that the, what the, what the gospel has placed inside you and I. So this morning I'll try and be brief, but for us to have as a church to have this impact, I believe we have to first understand three imperatives. So three things from the text. Number one, from this text, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 to 10, I want to put in our, in our canon, put in our hearts this morning, is number one, we've been given authority. Can you say that out loud with me? Brilliant. Well done. I love that, Zen. You are, you're the loudest. Well done. But let me give us some context here. Jesus comes and he gathers his 12 inexperienced, fresh-faced, anger-issue-filled potentially alcohol still in their breath, young disciples who are a bit loose and a bit ragged trying to work out this thing. They've got teenage angst still on the left of them and this call of God in front of them and they're trying to amalgamate the two. And they've started this journey of following Jesus and they, they stumble into class this day, Matthew 10, this day that we just read. And they probably come there excited for some more Jesus Instagrammable moments. Because, you know, the chapters before, Jesus says, come follow me. And from those moments, they've just been following along and tagging along and watching Jesus do outstanding things. They're like If they had Instagram in the day, it's like Jesus turning water into wine. O-M-G. What? This is crazy. And, and then, you know, they go to the next, the next thing. And actually, Jesus is now walking on water. And they're like, what will he do next? This is incredible. Healing people and, and teaching and offending people. And these disciples are just behind him going, get him, Jesus. Get him. Loving it. They're like, we're with this guy. And they arrive at the, in class this day, probably like, what is Jesus going to do today? This is incredible. We're so pumped. And then Jesus breaks out into what we've just read, a type of brave heart-esque type speech where he gets up and, and, and to paraphrase it as uh, Mel Gibson would have done in the movie, he would have got up and basically Jesus is saying to these guys, will you fight? And these young boys, no, we'll run. It's like this, no what? What are you talking about? And, and I can imagine them as Jesus says, guys, I'm giving you this mission. Go into the darkness. You're going to go. This is what I've called you to do. Kick out the demons. Be generous. You know, open the, the kingdom of God is here. Declare it. These guys looking around going, us and what army? You're talking about us? Jesus, you, you think, I think you've, 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 maybe you've done that water into wine thing too many times. I don't think you're getting it yet. We, we're not the sort of guys you're looking at. They probably start making dis- disclaimers going, Jesus, we haven't finished the set work yet. We're still, we're still early in this journey. Actually, look at that Thomas. Thomas is like, he's still like, he doesn't get that thing. He's still, he's still doubting Jesus. He's still doubting that guy. Judas is still stealing the money from the, from the, 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 the offering. Jesus, we're still, we're not ready yet. 
But I, I, I love this sort of understanding as we read these scriptures and we see it. And the emphasis of truth that comes through again and again is that Jesus is not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. I, I want to resound this loudly over you and I. He's not looking for the qualified, but he's looking for the available. So much so that actually if you see someone being mightily used by God and you go, wow, and you go, oh, he must be so gifted. Maybe he is, but I would hasten to add, I actually believe that he's probably just been available. Reinhard Bonke, the great German evangelist, said this way. He said, there were many more gifted people ahead of me in the queue, but they were obviously just too busy with lesser things. I love that. He goes, there are way more gifted people ahead of me who should have been used by God, who should have done greater things. But obviously when God came knocking at their door, they were like, sorry, we're just too busy. So he found Reinhard, and Reinhard said, I'm just available. And actually, I would surmise that actually God equips and gifts the people who says, here I am, use me. Just a thought. Because I tell you, the heart of God, the heart of Jesus is that he says, I want to use the whosoever's. He wants to. It's actually his joy to use the foolish things of the world. It's his joy to use the bankrupt things of this world. It's his joy to use those who are feeling at their end so that he, his glory could be made even more glorious. He wants to, he doesn't want man to get any glory. He doesn't want people to go, wow, look at that gifting. He wants people to go, how in the world is that happening through them? So we can just go him. Let me tell you this, that actually I believe it's time to unleash the church. And as we read scripture, we see the gospel isn't chained. So the enemy tries to handcuff the church. He knows he's got no sway against the gospel. The gospel and the word of God never returns void. So the thing that he does try to handcuff is you and I with our thinking. And this is where I know it's a, it's a little bit irrelevant at the moment, but the TV show Mythbusters, I want to bash a myth right now if it's okay. I believe there's this myth that is handcuffing us as a people that says there's some who do the ministry and there's others who clap and cheer from the sidelines. Go Gabe. Woo! There's a myth that there are men of God, and then there are others. You've heard it? Oh, that's a man of God. As opposed to who? Actually, as we read Scripture, men of God are those who just say yes to Him. Women of God are those who just say yes to Him. Let me tell you, there's a myth that there's the haves and the have-nots, and this is a big one. There's those who are full-time in ministry, and there's those who support. Actually, when I read Scripture, I don't see any of that language. I don't see that language. Actually, the language I see is this language that says that Jesus is called the priesthood of all believers. That means when we become, when we give our lives to Jesus, you get, you get ordained into the priesthood. Welcome, men and women of the cloth. You are part of the priesthood according to Scripture, not according to me, not according to some tradition, according to Jesus, that actually this thing called church, when I say priests of all believers, why? Because this thing of church, and by church I mean Sunday gatherings, just a building, if that is all that we are supposed to minister in, it's too small. So much so that actually the Bible calls you and I, the Greek word for us Christians is ecclesia, which means called out ones, not hidden away ones on a Sunday in a building, not hidden away ones in a monastery, not hidden away ones hiding away from the world, but he says called out ones to shine in the world. This is the language of you and I. This is what we called from day one. This is not like some graduation ceremony after 20 years, right, well done, now you are Ecclesia. No, no, he's, he's called us out to shine from day one. And actually what we have to understand about this is this, this thing called the kingdom of God. 
Now, let me explain that to you. And it will take many, many sermons to explain this in fullness. But actually, what I love about this scripture that I read it is actually there's 12 unqualified boys standing in front of Jesus. But Jesus starts that scripture by saying, Jesus spoke to his 12 harvest hands. I love that. I don't think it's just semantics or just a, a change of words. These are 12 guys who saw themselves as ordinary fishermen just stepping out on a journey. But Jesus looked at them and he looked at them with different perspective. Harvest hands who are going to bring in the harvest that the gospel demands. You see, I want to say what had changed. Was it their experience? No. Was it their skill set? No. Had they even started to sin less? We know from reading scripture, no. The big denials and the betrayals were still to come. Jesus was not as scared of their sin or their lack of experience, their lack of skill set. Jesus had already invested the kingdom of God in them. Now, listen to me. If you are a Christ follower, you, he has invested the kingdom of God in you. This is massive. This is massive. Why? Because actually, so often, when John the Baptist preached, he would say, the kingdom, declare the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And for so long, my thought process meant the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's like a timeline coming nearer. One day it will come soon. When Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming back. But actually, the literal rendering of that is the kingdom is at hand. It's within reach. It's here. It's come in fullness in Jesus Christ. And Jesus went on and actually said, the kingdom is not a matter of eating, drinking. The kingdom of God is of power. And he said, the kingdom is within you. Jesus' words. The kingdom of God is within us. No matter your experience, no matter your feelings, no matter your circumstances. Why? Because you've handed over your neighborhood to Jesus. As soon as you said, Jesus, this real estate called Gabe Phillips is yours. He says, thank you. And he goes, there goes the neighborhood. And he takes over my neighborhood. Oh, he takes over who I am. And he says, actually, I'm going to invest my kingdom. So basically, where I go, the kingdom of God goes. Did you just feel that, Andrew? You felt that, eh? The kingdom come nearer there. Where I go, the kingdom of God goes. Why? It's not based on my feelings. It's based on his investment. And he is faithful. He's invested it. Now, he has the incredible thing for you and I is that we are very quickly, we very quickly disqualify ourselves. I know, I disqualify myself very quickly. But here's the greatest news I want to tell you this morning. Is you did not trick Jesus on your entrance exam. You might be sitting today feeling very discouraged and saying, I've messed up so bad, you don't know what I've done, Gabe. You don't know the week I've had, you don't know the, the chaos that's going on at home, you don't know the fear that's inside of me. And you go, actually, I don't even know, I, used by God, I don't even know if I'm loved by God. I want to tell you today, you did not trick Jesus on your entrance exam. Here's the greatest news. He chose you. He chose you. He didn't choose, you didn't choose him, actually. You might think you had some power and authority, there, but he is actually so much more faithful than your doubts and your insecurity. He chose you and his grip won't let you go. Your circumstances might be shaking, but he says, I chose you and I didn't just choose you to be second rate. I chose you to invest my kingdom in you. And I tell you, Jesus is an incredible investor. He doesn't invest in something he won't get returns from. Let me tell you, Jesus' design is to use the most unlikely of people. He loves to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. But I want to tell us, we have to understand that we've been given authority. Second point this morning is we've been given authority to invade our ordinary. We've been given authority to invade our ordinary. 
Let me say it this way. Authority is not given just for the big moments or just for Sundays or just when the keyboard's playing. Maybe I'm just speaking to the people who've been Christians for way too long. This is me. I always thought the word authority or power was in a church setting or when I spoke about Christians was meant when the man of God would get up and he would start going, power, pushing people over in an American accent. Or, or like it was for dramatic moments when it felt like yes, or for church and when we really had prayed and fasted, then the power come. There is, a, there is a release of God's power when we seek his face. But actually when we read the scriptures, I realize that he actually has given us authority to invade our ordinary. Let me bring it to our reality right now. When you pitch up for work on a Monday and everyone else says, it's going to be one hell of a week. Need me some Java. And they're just, they're just looking very depressed. And they say, we're in for one hell of a week. You know it's just the place for you. You're like, come on, this is a good place. Why? Because actually the whole world lives for TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. We made it through the week. Ugh. They just forsake five-sevenths of every week. They go, please, can we just get through it? just so I can live for the weekend. The problem, though, is actually I believe in my heart and our church living too often is church becomes TGIS. Thank God it's Sunday. Why? Because we're living for, on Sunday, then I can be effective. On Sunday, I can be involved in ministry. On Sunday, I can join the prayer team. On Sunday, I can serve. And maybe I'm just speaking to my own fickle heart. On Sunday, I can be used. And actually, that's a lie because actually the problem here is then we start setting up a dualistic separation. Now, just for those who really want to know, it's called, it's a new level thing called, it's a problem that plagued uh, the society for many years and millennia past and in, in Jesus' time and after it. But it's a thing that's really, in our thinking now, it's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism separates the spiritual and the physical. That is, a, that is a godly encounter. This is not. So when we worship a church that is spiritual, when I change nappies, that's just what I need to do. When actually Jesus came to bring heaven and earth together. He came to bring the extraordinary and the ordinary together. And this is the understanding for you and I. You see, because actually when we understand that every moment is holy, that actually Sunday is not more holy than Monday. I hear some people getting nervous. Sunday is not more special. God doesn't look at his calendar. Oh, it's Sunday today. Yes, get the robes out, boys. No, no, no. He will get worship night and day, Monday through Sunday. The angels never stop singing. Every day is holy to him. Because Jesus now, yes, we keep the Sunday. He says, keep the Sabbath day holy. But actually, Jesus now is our, our Sabbath day. Jesus is our rest every day. We have rest in Christ. So every day becomes holy. So actually, when we realize that we have more than enough, and that Monday to Fridays are just as important as Sundays, if not more so, we start becoming the people who go, T-G-I-M. Thank God it's Monday. It's our time to shine. Ecclesia is out. Let's go back to our text. Jesus says to these guys, there's 12 harvest hands. He says, don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place. Why? Because I think sometimes it's easier to go to a far-off place and step over a dying body on your own doorstep to get there. I grew up on uh, dramatic tales at church in Zimbabwe of, of missionaries to far-flung lands, Hudson Taylors and C.D. Studd and, and all these incredible men and women of God who were used in powerful ways. And it was, it was dramatic and it was wonderful going to the, the savages out there. The problem with those stories is though they're brilliant, but the problem with them is that it way too often disqualified the ordinary run-of-the-mill 95% of our lives. 
when we glorify that moment, then actually our Monday to Friday just go, ah, not that important. You know what? I, I love as I read on, it says, don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. As I read that, I realize it's easier to picket an abortion clinic than it is to join the kids' ministry and build from the ground up. It's easier to blog about a public enemy than to be vulnerable and fight a private battle in your own life and community. It's easy to do that. It's easy to be a, that angry Christian who writes Facebook statuses but actually is not investing in, in sowing in the dirt. You know what? Sometimes we get caught looking for the spectacular and we end up missing the supernatural in the everyday. Years ago, a friend of mine named Andrew Dosh, he, he, he rebuked me in the kindest way possible. He came to me and he said, he's an accountant. He said, Gabe, the way you preach, I love it. And I was like, thanks, Andy. Thanks. He said, the problem with it is, he says, the way you preach makes it sound like for me to be effective as a Christian is I can only be effective on a Sunday when I serve. And if I potentially, I start a prayer meeting at work before, the, before work. That's the only way I can be really effective as a Christian. Because he says, I'm an accountant. I just do ledgers. How do you separate that? And, and it got so deep in me going, God, was I had to really do this? Did I really, have I really made the, the ordinary just seem like, just, let's get over the ordinary so we can get to the extraordinary stuff. But I realized that actually how you view it determines how God can use it. I make the statement now, I'm learning in a new way, that if we see the ordinary as extraordinary, we'll start to see the extraordinary become our ordinary. The people who walk in extraordinary things are not people looking for extraordinary. The people who start, the people doing walking extraordinary things are people who are seeing their ordinary situation as extraordinary. Maybe I'm, I'm losing you here, but let me help you. The disciples in this story were given a new assignment on the same piece of land that they'd always walked. They were still in Jerusalem. They'd grown up here. They'd lived here. It was the same people. It was their same neighbors they'd seen. Martha, hello. The same crippled man, the same broken person who'd been there for 40 years at the Gate Beautiful, who had been for 40 years, 38 years there at the Pool of Bethesda. It was their same neighborhood, but Jesus was saying, I'm giving you new eyes to see the old neighborhood. Still haven't got you. All right, let me help you. Good friend Leanne Pringle, let me, uh, let me boast about this incredible story recently. She sent a message to her and said, Gabe, you know, a while ago I had this dream that I was going to be preaching in the school hall. And she said, my first thoughts were, church, we have church in school. I'm going to be preaching in church, which is awesome. That's amazing. What a, what a joy. She has preached in here, in here recently, but then she said the problem was, she says, then we, that very week we moved out of the school hall into the conference venue. She was like, that sucks. So I'm not going to be preaching. Until they, the, the Pringle family have uh, been involved in the school play Annie. And last week, Sunday, they had rehearsals. And uh, during rehearsals, the, some of the parents were not happy that their kids had to come and do rehearsals on Sundays because they usually take their kids to church or they felt it was a religious day. How can you do that on a religious day? So the lady in charge said, actually, we'll have church here at the play practice. Just made that decision. She was like, Leanne, I don't know what to do. Can you preach next Sunday at our play practice? Leanne last Sunday got to preach to the whole cast and crew of Annie. And correct me if I'm wrong, but 25 hands responded to the gospel. And then she's now walking a journey, gave them one-to-one books and working a journey and actually getting inroads into some of the teachers and people. And you know what, as I listened to it, I started to realize that this is a family that have been in this school for many years. I felt God saying, giving new assignment to old roads. 
new assignment to old neighborhoods, new assignment, fresh eyes again to look at what is the impact. God, what, what, how are we going to impact the school? Let's put a church in here. Maybe, but maybe the church has been here for many years. Let me say to you today, will you look at your boardroom again with fresh eyes? Would you look at your classroom again? Would you look at your client list again? Would you look at your routine again? Would you look at your wage bill again? Would you look at your boss again with fresh eyes? Because actually, in this moment, when you understand this, mothers who are having to change nappies and feeling I'm being excluded from this season of life, know this is the most important time for you. Because he's given you authority to invade your ordinary. Will you look at your, new, you look at your routine with fresh eyes? Because Jesus doesn't just want to use unlikely people. He wants to use unlikely moments and places to bring about his glory. Third and final point this, after this morning. If I keep going, it might be off me. Number one is we've been given authority. Number two is to invade our ordinary. Number three, and it's released through generosity. Jesus ends this by saying, go, this is a grandiose assignment of kick out the demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. And I can imagine the guys with a notebook going, when are we singing the class for this, Jesus? When is raising the dead 101 happening? I haven't heard, does Jesus have a blog about that? Is there a podcast out about the healing the sick? I haven't, have, I haven't read that one yet. And they're trying to write and keep up. What, what, what did he say? And they're freaking out. I can imagine. They're going, how are we going to do all this? Maybe, I mean, Peter's done the water walking, walking on water thing, but I mean... Sheesh, I don't know if I can do that. But Jesus lands with this line that empowers him. He says, you have been treated generously, so live generously. Something explosive happens there. And this is what, as I read this, I really felt this for you and I, that actually God is wanting to shift our hearts from being subsistence farmers to being farmers who feed a nation. Let me say it again. That we, God, I think in the spiritual, God wants to move us from being subsistence farmers to farmers who feed a nation. Subsistence farmers, if you're unaware, are people who farm their plot of land to just have just enough for my family and just enough so I can plant again so I have more food for myself tomorrow. Just enough. But actually, nations don't grow on that. No, nations don't thrive. Just ask the nation of Zimbabwe. Farms that fed the nation were, were, were given away, but to people who weren't a, equipped to feed the nation, but only equipped to do subsistence. But actually the problem is here, this is not a political statement. This is me saying Christians and Christianity becomes a thing of what's just enough for me and my family. My prayer life is just for me. My my giving, my time, my energy is just for me. But actually God is saying if he wants to move us from enough for just me to more than enough through me. Now let me teach us very quickly about generosity. I want to tell you generosity firstly is a posture. It's not what you say. It's often how you say it. You see, this is the thing. A lot of people now, I've, I've see these people, you know, they, they will go and you'll see those, those marches. Here in South Africa, often we just see it on Facebook or in the American context, but it does happen here where people will walk with those signs and they'll be spitting out venom in the road in the name of Jesus. They're going up to people and saying to them, turn or burn, brother. Give your life to Jesus or you'll go to hell. And shouting those aggressive epithets. And I can imagine they probably go back to their church and says, I witness today. I stood for the truth. And I, and I go, maybe maybe you, you spoke truth. But I just say, I think that's lazy. <laughs> I think that's just lazy. That's actually not the heart of our Father. Because actually, for me, generosity is not just a posture. It's an attitude of our heart. Let me say this. Generosity, is, I'm just not saying just money here. I love these disciples. I don't think they had much money. So when Jesus said, you've been treated generously, live generously. 
I think he's exploding this more than just money. Money's a part of it. But actually, what Jesus is tapping into here is something called the opposite spirit. Now, let me tell you, generosity is a kingdom tool. Something that God has given us to open up the hearts of men and women. And actually, the opposite spirit, let me explain what the opposite spirit is. When Actually, when, when the enemy comes in the spirit, God has given us a tool to respond in an opposite way. So let me explain it. The spirit of poverty, people who just, I just cannot get through, I just living in subsistence means I keep staying small, I keep living from build to build, I can't break through. The scriptures tell us that the, opposite, that the, the spirit of poverty is broken by the spirit of generosity. The Bible tells us that. It says actually sow and then you'll reap. But so people, no, 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 keep and then I, I want to keep and then I'll keep. And the Bible says no, sow and reap. It's not my words principle, but let me move on here. That actually the spirit of fear, I'm always anxious. I'm always fearful. I don't know what to do with this. Actually, the Bible tells us the spirit of fear is broken by not building higher walls, not having, oh, I need more prayer moments. Those help. But actually the spirit of fear is broken by a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. The Bible tells us the spirit of lust is broken with lust which demands me. It's all about me and my desires. When I want it, how I want it, I'm going to give in to my thought process. Who cares about anyone else? The spirit of lust is broken by spirit of serving and laying your life down. I always tell people, if you are struggling with lust, start serving. Because it's the antithesis of lust. Lust that demands, you go and say, actually, my weapon is I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start serving. I see two or three people nodding, so thank you for that. You know what? When we start to understand this, this is not, generosity is not of this world. It's a response system. It's a posture of our hearts that's looking to give, not looking to gain. And actually, the incredible thing is when we start to live like this, we start to become people who go, you're not taking offense, but we're people who are saying, I wish somebody could offend me so I could show them grace. Because the world wants to just take offense. The world these days, anything, any, any statements like, I'm offended. I'm hurt. I've, that person looked at me different. My boss didn't treat me right. And we take offense so quickly. Why? Because we, we love to be takers. We'll even take your offense. Thank you. But when we start to have a posture of generosity, we're not leaning away. We're leaning in. And people offend us. Awesome. I get to show you the kingdom response here. This is how we start to understand this thing. And it's a word that I, I, I read years ago. It's just attached to my spirit. Something called dirty theology. Now, it's not a new heresy. Don't worry. Dirty theology, what is actually, it's a Jesus type of theology. It's a flesh and blood incarnated version of Christianity. One that's not with clean hands, sitting up, worshiping with clean hands in a clean room and a clean way away and never letting the the filth of the world, world to offend us. But actually, I look at Jesus. Jesus became sinful man. He did not call us from up there. Come up to me. He actually went down into the dirt and he had dust on his hands. He had, he had blood and, and he put on our flesh and he became our sin. And this is the dirty theology that you and I are called to. And I want to ask you, how dirty are your hands? Not with sin, not with, with, with your own fallen nature, but actually, are your hands involved in the pain of humanity? Or are you leaning away? Let me tell you this. Firstly, generosity is a posture, but secondly, generosity is a person. I love the power of this. It starts by Jesus saying, you've been treated generously. Jesus was saying this to them, not because he had given them a big party or given them some bucks or paid off Peter's loan, student loan. Or No, no, no. 
Jesus was saying, you've been treated generously. Why? Because he had taken men who were fallen, unqualified, broken. And he said, I'm investing my kingdom into you. I'm giving you a calling. I'm giving you a future that's greater than your past. I'm giving you a destiny and actually that's going to invade your ordinary, not just in some future far off land, but right here, right now, I'm giving you purpose. Jesus says, he has treated them generously. And actually you and I are called to operate from that generosity. He's not calling us to operate from a generosity that we don't know or haven't experienced. He's saying, have you encountered the love of Jesus? I'd love to say that the longer you've been walking with Jesus, surely the more amazed at grace we should be. But the problem is, I look at my own heart, often the people who've been walking with Jesus the longest start to become more cynical. And to start actually going, yeah, but has that person done that course yet? Has that person done all the things necessary? And actually it's something that somebody once said, you've been walking with Jesus for so long that you start to put on this thing called ego. He's cheesily said that ego stands for edging God out. <laughs> that's actually not about the grace of God. It's about actually our processes. It's about our system, how we can control this thing. But here's the, the understanding today. When we understand the grace of God and we get amazed that we've been treated generously, I, I want to suggest that we start to spend differently when we know that someone else is paying the tab. Do you know, you've, have you ever noticed that? You go out for dinner, and uh, if, if it's that sort of thing when you're not too sure if someone's, if you all just going to be paying for your own, you're going, you know what, I'm on a new diet. I'll just have the half portion nachos, please. Actually, I'll just, just, I'll just, I just filled up on bread before I came. I'm just, I'm okay, actually. Water, please. It's like everyone's a bit nervous to really order what they want. It's like you look at the menu, but you're looking down the price list, not actually looking at the items. Mm, I really feel like, whoa, I have those, yeah. But then there's a different thing when someone says, oh, guys, by the way, I've got the bill. Prawns, please. Lobster, crayfish, and on top, a steak. Thank you. And guys like, whoa, you got hungry real quick. <laughs> How did that happen? Just, you know, just, I'm really hungry now. I, I want to tell you that people change. People change their response when it's not their money paying. <laughs> Maybe this is the thing, but I want to suggest that actually when we understand that it's not my resources that are opening up futures for people, when I understand it's, like, it's not my energy that's going to open up resources, when I understand it's not my business that's going to count the cost for other people to come to freedom, because actually he is the one who's pouring out his resources. He's the one who's treated us generously. He's the one who's pouring in, and actually he is not going to stop. He's, not, actually, he's never going to remain in our debt. Actually, when you step out of faith, he's the one who gives more grace. Why are people more gifted, seemingly, why? Because they've been available. And he says, actually, to the available, I'll pour out more. Because people keep crying out, give us the Holy Spirit, Lord. And he goes, what do you, do you want to do with him? You're doing nothing that demands his power. You're doing nothing. God, I want your pour out your money, your resources to me. Why? Open your hand, watch what he'll fill. This is the understanding for you and I. But as I understand this, and I bring this right down to land uh, this morning, and it's a this is quite the thing for you and I. When we say release wide, we are under, wanting the church to understand that actually this is not about the men of God and then the rest. This is about us. We have been given authority to release wide. What? Not just, to, not just for Sunday meetings, but we've been given authority to invade our ordinary. Where you're at, God is the greatest chess player. He's placed you where you need to be for a reason. You did not choose here. Your job did not dictate that. Actually, God is above that. He's saying, I've placed you there for a reason to invade the ordinary. I've given you everything you need. I want to give you fresh lenses on your old path. 
God wants to do that for us. But then the way he says, and the way I'm going to do it is not that you need to do a course, not that you need to do some more time in church, not that you need someone to pray for you. Actually, you need to receive the grace of God and then give it away. This is how simple this is, that we want to be a church that release wide because when we understand that in this room, there then becomes not one pastor or two pastors, there becomes 120 pastors who are released onto our city every week. That's when the church becomes powerful. There's not just one or two gifted people with this, I've got the gift of generosity. No, 120 people are looking for ways to lean in with generosity. Not just five businessmen who are going, you know what, I'm going to be the one who steps out in faith. No, there's any people start to, to strategize saying, God, my business, how are you going to use it for your kingdom? And we start to look at our resources differently because they're actually not our resources. But, but here's the disclaimer of it all. Before we're going to take these neighborhoods, we're going to have to hand over the keys of our neighborhood. As cheesy as it sounds. I read the scripture in John 1, it tells us that Jesus moved into our neighborhood. It says he put on flesh and blood. It's called the incarnation of Christ, that God became man. The, the message verse says he moved into our neighborhood. He moved in. He put on our flesh and blood. He did not fear our mess. He took himself upon himself the full curse of hell. He broke the back of death. He snapped the bony finger of the law, and he put on us the full blessing of heaven. And I want to say to us today with such confidence that as you believe that, and allow God to grip your heart, the enemy loses its grip and says, there goes the neighborhood. When we understand we've been given authority to invade our ordinary and it's released through generosity, the enemy looks back to and goes, there goes the neighborhood. There goes Milnerton. There goes the high school. There goes the business district. There goes the CBD. There goes Camps Bay. There goes the stay-at-home's mom's group. There goes the library that they visit two weeks times a week. There goes the hospital that he keeps going to because of his health. But actually, the kingdom of God is going with him. This is what happened. There goes the neighborhood when we understand this. Today, I want to tell you three things to land with. Number one, kingdom is greater than church. The church is God's plan A to do what? To bring the kingdom. But when I say the church, it's not a building. It's not a name. It's ecclesia. You and I are called out once. The priests of all believers. Let me tell you again. Number two, risk is greater than safety. You can play it safe for your whole lives, or you can take a risk and actually find out years to come that it was no risk at all because you had put your hands on the one who holds it. And I want to tell you finally that city is greater than suburb. We're not called to be a safe, secluded, suburban church who just has an influence in the hundreds. We were made to be a city-impacting church that actually we believe that in the foundation of the people here that we're going to have an impact that's greater than a Sunday meeting. That's going to be greater than that. That actually on Monday, tomorrow morning, you go to work and actually with a city burning in your heart, you think, I'm just going to work, but actually you're setting up a pulpit in your business area. That you just think you're visiting that mom's group, but you're putting up a pulpit changes the way we look. I'm just a coffee barista. No, you're a bean revivalist. I'm just a teacher. No, you're setting up an a, 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 a outpost on the edge of hell. Plundering hell and populating heaven, depending what school you're in. If it's, you know, but anyway. But as I land today, I want to put fire in our hearts because actually who we are, we're people who are called to reach far. We are people called to raise up and become all that God has called us to be. That means that's sowing seeds. But ultimately, why? It's not just so we can look better and fill the room. It's so that we can impact the city and the nations. So today, I really believe this is a word for us, that people moving from rehabilitation to restoration and into mission. That people moving from deformed to transformed and empowered. Maybe you've stayed in deformed for too long. 
Maybe you stayed in rehabilitation mode for too long. Just give me a little bit more time, then I will. I believe today is the word of God saying, pick up my mission and watch what I'll do in your life. Can we stand to our feet?